You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. All right, today we're going to be reading Hebrews chapter 6. And I believe it's going to be on the screen behind me. So if you don't have your Bibles, you can watch up there. All right. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible In the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles and is worthless and near to being cursed and in its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel for sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown us or shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those through of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf and having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is the reading of the Lord. And uh, we're going to release the Redemption Hill kids. So ages two to four and grades four and five are free to go. Maybe seated. 
kiddos. Have a good time in class. Thank you for serving. Aaron, Afton. Can't remember who else is in there. Jocelyn, thank you. <clears throat> uh, before I begin, uh, a, a new uh, practice I'd like to start next week. I just want to uh, let you in on that. Uh, first, when we have community prayer in the public reading of God's Word, if you're a member at Redemption Hill, you have the opportunity to participate in that. You just got to let me know. Uh, anyone can do that. But hopefully starting next week, what I'd like to do is when the person gets done reading Scripture and he says, this is the word of the Lord, I'd like us all to respond and say, thanks be to God. I think it's a good, a good practice that we verbalize that together in community because thanks be to God <laughs> that we have his, his word. So we'll try that. I know it's going to draw out some of our introverted folks, perhaps, uh, our Midwestern sensibilities, but we're, we're going to draw it out <laughs> nonetheless. So... Well, we are continuing to work through, oh, 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 sorry, 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 just got the right shirt on today. Annual tradition here, I wear, wear the shirt of the winning team from the previous Saturday between Iowa and Iowa State. Uh, as a reminder, I did wear an Iowa State shirt for the first time in my life last year, so that was humbling. God humbles the proud, and uh, I wore that shirt, but now, I'm, now that we're back in the, with the right shirt on this morning, so. Fun little tradition. I did notice one, okay, one, one observation. Last year when Iowa State won, everyone and their brother wore an Iowa State shirt to church. I don't see any Iowa State paraphernalia here this morning, so I'm just saying. Uh, bandwagon. All right. Now to more serious matters. As you can tell, we're going through... Uh, the book of Hebrews. Uh, it's been a joy for me to study Hebrews, and I hope it's been beneficial for you. I know I've said this in the past, but it's just worth reminding you that the goal of mine is, as we've been going through Hebrews or any book of the Bible is for you to hear from God. <laughs> um, if I'm not leading you in that direction, I am failing you as a minister of the gospel. Uh, so don't get me wrong. I am called by God to use my voice to preach God's word, but Man, all I'm trying to do is preach and kind of get out of the way, and I'm hoping to do that again this morning. Preach God's Word and get out of the way and let God do the work. When I initially mapped out this sermon series, I thought I would cruise through Hebrews 6. I think I may have had one sermon in Hebrews 6. Uh, I felt uh, we'd have to preach on the difficult passage on apostasy, which Dean did wonderfully last week, and then we just get right into Hebrews 7, start talking about Melchizedek and such matters. Well, I was wrong. I will likely go back to this passage again next week. There's so much for us to consider. Like even when uh, Rob was reading the text, once again, I'm, I'm listening and reading along with him, and I'm like, man, I, didn't, I don't touch that. I don't touch that. I need to get to that. There's just so much that is contained within Hebrews 6. And I think a lot here for us to see and be encouraged, um, as you'll see this morning. So just that FYI, um, we'll probably go back to Hebrews 6 next week. 
Hebrews is a little is, is written a little differently. It's not like Ephesians, the book of Ephesians or the book of Romans, where if you think like a lawyer, those, those are your jams, those are your favorite books, probably because a point is being made and then the next point builds off the previous point and so forth and so on. Hebrews is not like that. It's, it's, it's a sermon and sometimes points come in out of left field and they come out of left field for a reason, but it's not, system, it's not systematized like Ephesians or, or uh, Romans. So... That means we got to circle back from time to time and see what's, see what's going on. So we will continue to move forward in Hebrews. Um, but I really want you to see as much as possible what God is saying in Hebrews. We don't need to breeze by it. Let's just slow down. It's okay. All right, let me pray. And we'll get into today's message. Heavenly Father, I need you this morning. I confess my neediness. Um, so I ask for help. Indeed, what I s- said may, is also my prayer. May I get out of the way and allow your word to go forth. Help me, O oh God, to be a faithful minister of your gospel. Pray for my friends that are in front of me this morning, that they would hear and receive what you've already spoken and what you continue to speak, specifically through Hebrews 6. We pray this in Christ's name. Last week, I learned of a story about a, fam- a famous pianist and former prime minister of Poland, Jan Pederewski. Now, it's likely that in my American accent, I'm butchering a Polish name, but Jan Pederewski, just roll with that. It was a moving story. It's a touching story. As the story goes, Pederewski was having a concert. It was a big deal. And the concert hall was packed. In in attendance was a mother and a son. The mother brought her son to the concert to encourage him and to cultivate a love for playing the piano. It would be like my dad taking me to the Chicago Bulls game growing up to watch Michael Jordan. There's something about being in the presence of greatness that inspires you. So this mother took her son to this concert. Well, before the concert began, the, the boy wandered off. And all of a sudden, he was on stage. And all of a sudden, he was playing the piano. And he starts playing chopsticks. Some say it was Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. It was chopsticks, one of the two. And initially, the crowd starts laughing a little bit, right? It's like, oh, this is kind of a cute thing. But the boy continued to play. And the crowd went to jeering. They wanted the kid off the stage. Pederewski, upon hearing the uproar from the crowd, grabbed his coat that he plays, that he puts on and plays, and raced onto the stage. His reaction. His reaction is moving. Approaching the boy, the story goes, he reached around him from behind and began to improvise a counter melody. While doing so, he whispered to the boy, keep going. Don't quit, son. Don't stop. Keep going. I want to allow you into my head and heart for a moment, as dangerous as that might be. 
When I read that story, by the time I was done reading that story, I was in tears. Here I am out, it's a beautiful morning, you know, trying to figure out what I'm going to say today, come, come across this story, and like, just streaming. Because I needed to hear. Don't quit, son. Don't stop. Keep going. And some of you may need to hear, don't quit. Don't stop. Keep going. As your pastor, I've always tried to level with you about the Christian faith and all the cascading effects of the Christian faith on your life. And I'm going to level with you one more time. Following Christ is hard. Following Christ is not easy. Because following Christ is hard, you and I need to be encouraged to press on. I want you to be encouraged so that you can see that even though following Christ can be hard, it is always good. Just like the boy at the piano, Jesus comes alongside you. He encourages you. He plays the counter melody to your chopsticks and makes the song beautiful. After spending time um, warning us to resist immaturity that can lead to apostasy, which is why I had Rob read all of Hebrews 6, because I wanted to see how these two thoughts are together. After reading that, after seeing that for two weeks, the author of Hebrews changes his tone a touch. He goes from giving a stern warning to throwing his arm around you to say, don't give up. Keep going. Let's see the encouragement beginning in verse 9 of Hebrews 6. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, so he, he just got done giving the warning. Do not apostatize. Don't go down that road. But yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving saints as you still do. Yes and amen to that regarding Redemption Hill Church. The way you love one another, the way you serve one another. Oh man, do I see that evident every single day and every single week. Receive that encouragement this morning. Verse 11, and we desire each of you, each one of you, to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So that you might not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. With patience and faith, you will persevere until the end. The warning which precedes this passage and the encouragement are not contradictory messages. They actually work glove in hand with one another. Here's what I mean. As an earthly father, there are times when I've been stern with my kids. For example, when my kids were younger especially, we had a zero-tolerance policy on hitting. You do not hit one another, and you, as a father, you especially do not hit your mother. Zero tolerance. And so, the kids were warned. 
even at the youngest of ages. These types of warnings sometimes need to be delivered with a stern tone. And the reason is obvious, right? We don't condone violence, period. Because all children are sinners, there were a few times when I needed to correct their behavior. I needed to uh, exert discipline, right? I needed to show them their sin. Good parents discipline their children. However, in doing so, I also was aware that I can encourage them to make better choices, right? Like, I, my kids can testify to this. I'll say sometimes, I know you can do better. I know you can. I know you can make choices that honor God. So there are times where we need to heed the warning not to sin and the temptations that lead to sin. And then there are times where we need to be encouraged to fight against sin, to press on, to not give up, to keep going. So the warning has been issued. Now it's time to be encouraged to persevere. From this passage, I want to show you what it means to persevere with patience, persevere with patience, in a world, in a culture that is throwing everything at you, including the kitchen sink, as the saying goes. To patiently persevere. I also want to show you why, why we need to persevere with patience. Understanding why we must persevere with patience is actually a crucial question for us to answer. Like, where are we headed? If 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 Pastor Sean is telling me to persevere with patience. If God's word is telling me to persevere with patience, why? What's this for? Where is this, where is this going here? So the two big takeaways from this passage are answering these two questions. How do we persevere with patience? Why do we need to persevere with patience? Let me first talk about the importance of patience for a moment. Look at verse 12, and then we'll jump to verses 13 and 15. But imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. I I think it's a generally true statement to say that the best things in life are worth waiting for. They require patience. Christians have already received so much because of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nonetheless, Christians are called to be patient because God has more to give. God has more promises to fulfill. Ephesians 1 gives us a helpful explanation. We read, in him we have obtained an inheritance, right? You don't have the inheritance yet, but we've obtained it. It's in the future. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him, Christ, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 14 is really crucial here. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we require possession of it. Until we require possession of it. I'm not going to re-preach Ephesians 1 here, but you see that God has made promises, and he always fulfills his promises. In other words, what we see in Ephesians, what we see in Hebrews, is that God is faithful. Now, on what basis should we have hope that God will fulfill his promises, right? The author of Hebrews takes us back to Genesis. And I quote, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. 
saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. What did God promise to Abraham, right? That's the question. God promised that his descendants would multiply. The lineage of Abraham would be greater than the stars in the sky and the sand that is on the shore. We know this promise has been fulfilled because of those who have faith in Christ are a part of Abraham's family tree. This is, the, this is the case that is made in the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to Galatians. Here's part of Paul's argument in Galatians 3. And, and by the way, Rob prayed this before I got up here. He clearly had Galatians 3 on the mind. Now then, that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. I love that line. He preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Because God has proven himself Faithful to fulfill his promises through Christ, you have no reason to question whether he will continue to be faithful to his promises through Christ. Isn't that the challenge? Do we actually believe that God will continue to be faithful? We've seen what he's done, right? We can see it clearly now. Do you believe he will continue to be faithful? That's the challenge for us this morning. Do you believe that Christian? But let's be honest, waiting is hard, right? Waiting patiently is even harder. We tend to be impatient when waiting for something important, like a wedding day, a milestone birthday, or like going on an exciting vacation. Like when the kids know that they're going on an exciting vacation, man, does impatience come up. (laughs) Dad, when are we leaving? When are we leaving? It's in a week. Six days, five days. Just get a calendar, please. <laughs> Track it yourself, right? Just, there's an excitement, of course. and c- Certainly, we need to be excited about the promises that God will fulfill. But we wait with patience. So patience is the critical ingredient for persevering in the faith. Patience is the key as we await the second advent of Jesus Christ. Now, let's talk about what it means to persevere. In addition to patience, here's how we persevere. First, we need to imitate other Christians who are persevering in the faith in the right way. That's verse 12. We do see the exhortation to not be sluggish or lazy in the Christian faith, but the pivot back to encouragement is quick. You, you all, need to look around, find people who are imitating Christ, and then you go imitate them to the degree that they're imitating Christ. I've been a follower of Christ for over 20 years. Whether it's through local churches or educational institutions, I've imitated other people along the way. Again, to the degree that they're imitating Christ. I remember uh, one professor in particular from the seminary that I went to, Steve McKinnon. He was like a father to me for a few years, and I imitated him as he imitated Christ. I am 
indebted to that man. I'm thankful for a guy named Gary Gilbert, Gilbertson. Gary loves the Lord. I, I didn't even know if Gary's alive. Um, he's an older gentleman. But after the Lord saved me, he's one of the first mature Christians that I met. And I just saw his love for the Lord, and I wanted to imitate that kind of love for the Lord. Right? I wanted to imitate that man. Um, I've wanted to imitate my mother-in-law. She's gone through a lot in her life, including cancer, and she's been steadfast in the faith. I want to imitate that. And I'm not like trying to do the son-in-law thing and you know get you to like me more. <laughs> but it's true. I want to imitate a guy named John Bloom. Many of you know him. We were on staff together. And that man knew more scripture. Like scripture just rolled off his tongue when he prayed and when he spoke. And I was just like, I want to imitate that. So yeah, we want to find people to imitate. Look at that. Look around and say, okay, I can work on that. And that person's doing it well. This aspect of the Christian faith. It's passive discipleship, but it's discipleship. The second reason why we can persevere is hope. The topic of hope comes up in Hebrews 11, but the wheels are being greased right here. We read in Hebrews 6, verse 11, and we desire each of you to show the same earnestness to have full assurance of hope until the end. John Chrysostom, an early church father from the 4th century, said that hope carries us through. Hope is what keeps you going day over day and week over week. A hopeful person knows that a future end goal will be achieved. Here are a few silly examples of hope, and then I'll explain how it applies to your faith. Chicago Cubs fan waited patiently for a World Series. Super patiently. If you're a Cubs fan, you know what I'm talking about. 108 years is a long time between World Series. And then in 2016, finally, all that waiting, all that hoping, we no longer had to say, I'm just going to wait until next year. <laughs> they won, right? We had hope in that. We had hope that someday in my lifetime, I would watch the Cubs win a World Series. And now I understand that's chintzy hope, and I get that. But I think you see the point. A couple other examples. I'm a father of two girls. I hope that they marry godly men who love and follow Jesus. It is a hope that I have a very active role in <laughs> as a father, I assure you. There's one more example of hope. As some of you know, I'm a Star Wars fan, and one of their best movies, arguably, is A New Hope. Some say it's Empire Strikes Back. Flip a coin. And if you pay attention to the entire series, the originals, the prequels, etc., hope is a thread that is throughout the entire throughout all the movies, throughout all the series, that one day the empire will be defeated. There are many things in life in which we hope for. The hope a person has is powerful. But the power of hope is predicated on the object of hope. According to verse 11, the greatest hope we have as Christians is the full assurance that we will persevere until the end because the object of our hope is Christ. Yes, 
You must not stop. Yes, you must not give up. And yes, you will persevere. So far, I've explained how we persevere. We persevere with patience and hope. We imitate others who follow Christ. Now, why do we persevere? Why? We can persevere because of who Christ is. I mean, right now, this is straight gospel heat. Remember, the point of the book of Hebrews is to remind weary Christians why they need to strive. They need to persevere because of the greatness of Christ. Jesus is great because of all that he has done to redeem sinners. Christians have become beneficiaries of all that comes from Christ. Christian, your sins have been forgiven because of Christ. Past, present, and future sins. Christian, you no longer need to fear death because of Christ. Just think about that. You do not need to fear death. Isn't that a hopeful statement? Now let's finish the statement. You do not need to fear death because of Christ. Christian, you can be at peace because of Christ. Christian, you know the meaning of true love because of Christ. Christian, you have a future inheritance that comes from Christ. You do not patiently persevere because of anything you have done. You patiently persevere because of all that Christ has done. You strive because you worship the one who was crucified, died, was laid into a tomb, and then he walked away from the tomb. You worship the one who is seated currently at the right hand of the Father and who will come back to judge the living and the dead, as our creeds rightly say. And his kingdom will have no end. No end. In my experience, not as a pastor, probably more as a Christian, those who no longer seek to grow in their relationship with God do not persevere until the end. Now, don't get me wrong. We, we go through seasons where we, we use the language dry, right? We, where you know you need to pursue God more. But when someone says, I know that I need to pursue God more, you know what goes to my mind? There's grace at work, <laughs> right? You acknowledge it and you know, what you, you know what needs to be done. That's a good thing. In my experience, the people who have forgotten the blessings and benefits of God do not persevere until the end. And so you remind yourself, and when you do remind yourself again, that's the grace of God at work in your life. In my experience, people who do not persevere until the end because they no longer marvel at the gospel itself, we forget what Christ has done for us. And so we need the grace of God to remind us. Again, in Hebrews 6, encouragement is followed, is coupled with the warning of not falling away from Christ. Please look at verse 19 with me. It helps us to see the importance of a person, of the person and work of Jesus Christ as we persevere. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Oh, I love that imagery. I'm going to talk more about that. The steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I promise we will talk about Melchizedek. We will get there. Either next week or the week after, Lord willing. 
but one of the best encouragements to persevere is in these two verses. We read that faith in Christ is like having a steadfast anchor. Once again, here's John Christostom to offer some perspective. And I quote, Paul shows that while we are still in the world and have not yet departed from this life, we are already living amid God's promises. For through hope, there's that word again, we are already in heaven. What a great line. For through hope, we are already in heaven. As the anchor dropped from the vessel does not allow it to be carried about, even if 10,000 winds agitate it, but being dependent upon makes it steady, so also hope. Note, he continues, what is a fitting image he has chosen. Now, he thinks Paul wrote this. That's debatable. That is the book of Hebrews. He did not speak of a foundation, which would not be suitable, but of an anchor. Now, why did he pick that image, he says? For that which is on the tossing sea and seems not to be firmly fixed stands on the water as upon land and is shaken and yet is not moved. You, know, I don't, you don't need me to tell you this, but life is hard, right? Sometimes it feels like the waves are coming at a height and at a pace and rate that you think you cannot handle. But the encouragement from this text is, if Christ is your anchor, you will be steadfast. That's the encouragement. You will handle the conditions. I cannot overstate the importance of Christ being the anchor of hope in your life. Jesus being the anchor of your life does not mean the rains and winds do not come. The opposite is true. The rains and the winds, they do come. And that's why Christ must be our anchor. The, the Cat 5 hurricane is on the way. And the question is, what is your anchor? Will it blow you away? That is the Cat 5 hurricane. Or will you allow faith and hope in Christ to withstand the storm? Allow me to make my point from another angle. The reason why we're called to persevere patiently is because trials, persecution, temptations, and sufferings do exist. And you and I know that when pressure is applied to your life, it is tempting to give up, right? When that pressure comes in, the temptation is real. It's there. It is tempting to compromise. It is tempting to fall away. So once again, make sure Christ is your anchor. Like, go buy an anchor. Just go buy an anchor. Put it on your shelf. Whatever. Remind yourself that Christ is your anchor. Okay, on what basis is Christ your steadfast anchor? Got to answer that question. What makes Jesus so unique that we should place our hope and faith in him? Why not Buddha? Why not Muhammad? Why not your inner self? We see a reason in verse 19. We read in verse 19 that Jesus is the one who went behind the curtain. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> right? It's like, we had a magic show? Behind the curtain? What's going on? Well, if you were a Jew... 
you know exactly what's being communicated. You know exactly what's being communicated. I actually think someday I want to find um, a practicing Jew and just read the Hebrews with this individual and just explain, help, help, help illuminate all these connections that we're seeing between Hebrews and the Old Testament. Because this is another one. Because initially this seems very cryptic, Jesus going behind the curtain. Well, in the Old Testament, we read about where the glory of God resided with his people. The first was in the garden, right, when God walked with Adam and Eve. But, until, but obviously sin entered the world. Adam and Eve sinned. So God has dwelled with his people in other ways. For example, through dwelling in the tabernacle and then the temple. In the tabernacle and in the temple was an inner sanctuary that was behind a curtain. That's, this is where the author of Hebrews is drawing from here. The curtain refers to the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies in the tabernacle and then later the temple. The inner sanctuary refers to the holy of holies itself, which was the dwelling place for the glory of God. So, temple, and then eventually you get to like the most sacred part of the temple, where, where the high priest could only go in this most sacred part once a year on the Day of Atonement, behind this curtain. Long story short, the inner sanctuary was a big deal. As the name suggests, it is holy and sacred. This theme will be actually be picked back up in Hebrews 9. Now, if you grew up a Catholic or if you grew up Eastern Orthodox, you might appreciate what's being communicated in verse 11 because those faith traditions have not abandoned the sense and need for sacred spaces. As it is, Jesus has gone before us to be the great high priest and to be the greatest sacrifice. Only he could go behind the curtain representing both aspects. I also want to add that Jesus' body became the temple of God by the Spirit's indwelling and by uniting the human body to the divine nature of the person of Christ. The bottom line is that Jesus has taken everything about the ceremonial and sacrificial laws in the Old Testament and everything now points to him. Only he could go behind the curtain. There's no longer a need for a high priest to go behind the curtain on the Day of Atonement. That's what Jesus is saying. There's no longer a need to offer animal sacrifice. Like, have you ever thought to yourself, why aren't we getting a bull and getting an altar and, and sacrificing right here in the middle of church? You want to know why? Because Jesus is the final sacrifice. Jesus is our steadfast anchor because he is the greatest sacrifice. He is the great high priest. He is the greatest temple. And the good news is that by our spiritual union with Christ, we, the church, become the body of Christ, the temple of the living God. In our body, we have direct access to God as temples. Perhaps it would be good to answer the two questions I offer to you. How do we persevere with patience? Why do we need to persevere with patience? We persevere with patience because of the hope we have in Jesus Christ. God has been faithful to fulfill his promises, and there is no reason to not believe he will continue to be faithful. Why do we need to persevere with patience? Because Jesus went behind the curtain and did what we could not do. He sacrificed his life for his church and the people, obviously, that make up the church. Jesus is our steadfast anchor who forgives sins. He has conquered death, and we will also conquer death. 
because of Christ, we're at peace no matter what the world throws at us. We know that God loves us because greater love has known than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. So we now call Jesus Savior, Lord, and friend. We can persevere with patience, looking forward to the future inheritance. And it will be a glorious inheritance. Therefore, do not quit. Son of the living God, do not quit. Daughter of the living God, do not give up. Press on until the end. Let's pray. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.